Hi, this is Shane Vanderhart. Welcome back to another episode. So with extra time that you may have because of COVID-19, what are you doing? You know, those of you who are introverts, I, I, which I identify among you, I'm probably not completely introverted, but I, I definitely tend to that, that side. This is actually, it's been like, you're telling me I, I have to stay away from people. That's great. <laughs> I'm not bothered by that at all. Frankly, nothing much has changed for me because I work from home anyway, so I'm usually always home. I've got my dogs. My wife has been home a little more frequently uh, during the day than she has before. Uh, but other than that, it's kind of like a typical day for me. Uh, so home with my dogs alone. Uh, but, you know, uh, we're not able to go out. We're, you know, we're not we're supposed to stay uh, home as much as possible. This creates some extra time. What are you doing with that? Are you binge watching Netflix or perhaps perhaps you can take up reading once again if you if you've kind of dropped out of the habit of reading I, I I confess that I have not been the best reader of books I, I read a lot of tweets a lot of blog posts a lot of articles uh, but books I haven't done so well on lately so what are you doing with your time are you are you working to maybe pick that habit back up um, I had a conversation with dr. Karen Swallow Pryor she's the author of on reading well and we talk about reading habits and and what she likes to read and how we can uh, not only uh, pick up the habit of reading once again, but also instill it in our kids' lives as well. Uh, Also talk to her about a recent accident she had um, and and challenges she faced and how she overcame that. And then also her new role that she's currently the professor of English at Liberty University. And she's going to be teaching next fall at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. So I asked her about that uh, that uh, switch. We also discuss uh, the recent Revoice Conference controversy she was involved with and her thoughts on that. So before we get to that, first a word from our sponsor, American Principles Project. At American Principles Project, we believe that human dignity should be at the heart of public policy. We work in all 50 states and in Washington, D.C. to promote life, religious freedom, local control over education, authentic economic progress for working Americans, and a return to constitutional principles such as federalism. Want to help American Principles Project? Visit our website today, AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. That's AmericanPrinciplesPlesProject.org. Sign up for email updates. Help us out. We want to work with you. That's AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. And we're back. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor. Hey, Karen, welcome to the Caffeinate Thoughts podcast. Thanks for having me, Shane. Very welcome. Very welcome. So, um, I have said in the past, and when I'm not feeling well, that I feel like I, I've been hit by a bus. Uh, you've actually know what that feels like, and I, I suspect it feels probably considerably different than what I when I said. Uh, what t- talk <laughs> us a little about your accident and 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 what God taught you through that? Yeah, well, there definitely is a reason why that um, expression exists. <laughs> a couple of reasons. Uh, one is because it really doesn't feel good. Um, and second, um, because if you Google 
getting hit by a bus, you will find that that bus pedestrian accidents like the one I had are really pretty common, especially in the city of Nashville, Tennessee, where I was uh, one morning about almost two years ago, um, heading to a meeting and getting myself lost and stepping into a crosswalk and um, not seeing the bus until it hit me. Uh, And then I ended up spending the next eight days at Vanderbilt Hospital, which is a really great facility. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're going to be hit by a bus, then, you know, you, you highly recommend it. Yeah, <laughs> I highly recommend it. Um, but I had, you know, I had a fractured spine, broken ribs, uh, fractured pelvis, collapsed lungs, a head injury, um, and had to have a pelvic screw um, put in that, you know, the next morning is the surgery that I had and then had to spend um, the next three months recovering at home uh, and not able to put weight on uh, the fractured side. Um, So had to use a walker and a wheelchair. um, And then after that period of recovery, go through physical therapy. um, And I'm I'm pretty well recovered. Um, And, you know, I'm amazed and thankful that it wasn't much worse than it was because as bad as it was, it could have been a lot worse. What what kept you going through the recovery process? I mean, I I I would have gone stir crazy. I think I you know that, I think that would be <laughs> difficult to not be able to you know I think we're so used and we take for granted just being you know mobile. Um, mm-hmm. So, w- what were things that you focused on? What were things that helped you through that time? Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, I had just finished the manuscript, doing the final edits on the manuscript for my book on reading well, which came out later that year. Um, And that book is not only about great books, but it's looking at some of these great works of literature through the lens of the classical virtues. So I had literally spent the previous two years researching, studying, and writing about virtues like courage and patience and humility And so I had this knowledge in my head about what these things were and what they looked like and how they can be practiced. And then I got the opportunity to actually try to practice them. And so that, that definitely helped. Um, But also just, you know, I think, you know, I've never, I've never really had a lot of trauma, never had any real physical um, pain in my life before this experience. And, and I, I don't, until you've gone through it, you really don't know. And I, that's something I've always heard people say about things and, you know, and you, you don't believe it until it happens to you. Um, but there's something about being in the moment, being thankful, first of all, that I was alive, being thankful that, you know, I wasn't, there's was no danger of me being paralyzed or anything like that. We, ruled that out quickly. Um, and then also being in a good amount of physical pain, um, that you just, you get through the net, you just do the next thing in front of you and, um, going stir crazy wasn't really an option when, you know, I just, just surviving day to day, just being, you know, having my husband prepare meals for me and help me to go to the bathroom and having to be assisted in taking a shower and all of those things. Um, it's just, that's what's right in front of you. And so I did, you know, I didn't have the luxury or feel the luxury to, 
to think about, you know, driving and running around and getting back to my normal life until, until my body was really ready for it. Were you able to do any writing at that time? Well, you know, what I imagined, even in, in those um, days when I was still in the hospital, and kind of knew, you know, we knew what had happened and what the prognosis was and all those things. I had this, um, this idea that I would be able, I was thought, well, I'll be at home and in bed for a few months and I'll do all this reading because <laughs> <laughs> I, I love reading even more than right. writing. Um, but those pain medications really do a number on your brain. And they I do. just, I did not, yeah, they do. I did write a few things. So I, <laughs> I guess I can, if anyone wants to look those up and take issue with them, I can, I can blame, blame the pain medications, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, so it's just, you know, the, the physical and mental toll on your body because of the injuries and the drugs, um, just. Didn't you know? I just thought, wow, this will be a writer's and reader's dream. Just nothing to do but lie around, and it just—it really didn't work out that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, we're coming upon a time with with this COVID nineteen uh, crisis and people staying at home and people being encouraged. You know, well, a lot of governors actually shutting things down. I don't know if that's happening in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you reside in Virginia, correct? Right. Yeah. Okay. So we're we're having some strict limitations. So, put on us. Yeah. So we got a lot of time on our hands and, and, you know, I think with the advent of social media and blogging and, uh, cause I can raise my hand and say guilty as charged, our reading habits, I think have deteriorated. Um, and, but now would probably be a good time to, you know, uh, pick that back up and, and make some changes. What do you, what would you suggest to people just get back into the habit of reading, uh, and, and beginning of their journey to start reading well? That is a great question, and I I want to confess that the struggle is real even for me, someone who is a lifelong reader and lover of books. Um, and even in the midst of this um, this uh, crisis that we're in now, I, I thought that I would have read a, a lot more in these last few days. I'm also on spring break, and so um, this you know, shutdown kind of coincided with that. But I find that you know, that this being in the midst of this crisis, I'm like other people, I'm sure, kind of drawn to the 24-hour news cycle, drawn to the social media to see what's going on, and that pulls you in. And so um, you really, and I, this applies to myself too, um, you really have to be intentional um, Mm -hmm. and maybe even just put the phone away or get the app off your phone, um, set a timer, sit down and say, I'm going to read for 30, 45, 60 minutes, and I'm not going to look at my phone or I'm not going to turn the news on. Um, because it takes, we, it takes a while for our brain to kind of get into that different mode of, of the immersive, deep, reflective reading that's required of a good book, uh, and which is the opposite of the kind of skimming, quick, impulsive shot uh, here, you know, one shot after another with the likes and the retweets that we get on social media. Um, So it's a very, very different experience. And we have to, it's just like exercise. Um, You know, you have to exercise those other muscles of of deep reading, which are so different from social media reading. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I know I I have to be intentional, which is, uh, let me ask you, do you read from a Kindle law or are you one of those people that it has to be, you know, a book in my hand. It it has to be a book in my hand. <laughs> um, and I mean, I've not used a Kindle. I, I, I tried a Nook years ago. Um, 
for me, I have, and I have so many books and I like to be able to read with a pen in my hand and mark and underline. And I just like to feel the weight of the book in my hand and smell the pages. Uh, and I'm not saying there's, you know, if people enjoy the Kindle and find that more convenient, I, I think that's better than um, nothing, especially if it's one of the ones that really replicates the pages of a book um, as much as it can. But um, cognitive scientists do find that when we are reading on a screen versus a page, we actually do use different parts of our brain. And I can actually just kind of feel that. I can feel which part of my brain is working and thinking. Um, and uh, it, it's, it really is different with a book. And so which is it, I just which is it, yeah, which is it, yeah. yeah, which is interesting that, uh, you know, you, uh, you wonder why that's the case especially if you're actually reading something long form um yeah interesting i'd have to have to read those studies but uh so so it was somebody who's just getting back into reading what, what would be some of your recommendations what are some of your favorite books well i mean it's i i love to know more about a person's interests and um in giving book recommendations, because sure. one of the things that I will say is that there are so many great books out there that that definitely pick up something that interests you, even if it's a, you know if it's challenging you. So there 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 are great books for every category. Um, I just compiled a list over uh, the weekend um, because of the coronavirus crisis. Kind of my my six books for um, reading during a time of quarantine, and uh, for example. One book that's not, you know, it's not a great work of literature, but it is kind of a modern classic and it has a lot of great literary qualities. It's Stephen King's The Stand, um, which is about some, you know, germs released into uh, the, the world. And uh, it, Are we sure we want to read about topic. that right now? <laughs> <laughs> I, you see, I find reading, this, one of the things I love about reading is that it helps to sort of um, uh, objectify, you know, reify my my fears and my anxieties and let me examine them rather than keep them internal okay. <laughs> and so uh for me that's comforting but um a more a more um calm and and i think optimistic book which is really great is leaf um anger's peace like a river it's a great story um, and then, of course, there are any kind of classic like a work by Charles Dickens or Jane Austen or Charlotte Bronte, um, Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. There's so many good classics. And especially I, I encourage people to revisit some of those that they might have read during high school and learned to hate uh, mm -hmm. because I don't think at that age we're really, you know, cognitively or constitutionally able to appreciate some of those works and returning to them um, can be such a redemptive experience because we can see them so differently through our adult eyes and experiences. What are you finding as far as you know, you, you teach English at Liberty University? Uh, you have college freshmen coming in. I'm assuming I, I assume you teach some college freshmen anyway. What are you seeing as far as their background in classical literature? Are they reading enough classical literature in high school? Yeah, I, I don't um, teach a lot of freshmen. I teach my mainly English majors and okay. um, graduate students, but I do, I, I do occasionally teach a freshman level class and um, they really are not reading as much literature. There's a lot more young adult literature out there and they tend to read that. If I get you know, young 
you know, readers who, who have been reading since they were young and, and love literature or think they do, often it's because they've had a steady diet of Harry Potter over and over and over, mm. um, which, you know, I, I have nothing against Harry Potter, but I am finding that um, people who love those kinds of stories, young people especially, will, will often just, just read those um, and not uh, read some of the classics. So, you know, the 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 challenge before us as English professors and parents and teachers to um, to introduce ourselves and our children and students to these works is, is greater than before, but the works mm-hmm. are just as good. So I think um, I think it's worth taking up that challenge and maybe meeting students where they are, but helping them to um, to read these works. And, and that might just require more support and um, assistance from us. So as far as let's, you know, I, I think a lot of I, my wife and I homeschooled our three kids and now they're all graduated and my youngest is 20. Uh, so she's going to be a nursing school graduate here pretty soon. Uh, but we installed a love of learning in each of these, in each of our kids. And at least we knew when they graduated, they may, you know, we may not have been necessarily the best math teacher, but we knew they, they read well and they could read mm-hmm. well. And, and I guess my question would be is what, advice would you give to parents? Because I, I, I think sometimes we want to put too much responsibility on the public schools and not, and not take enough ownership onto ourselves as far as making sure our kids, you know, have a love of reading and, and, and are spending time reading. Uh, Cause I think it needs to start before they actually get to school. Uh, what, what would be some advice you give to parents as far as, you know, set, uh, getting their kids off on that journey of reading? Well, I, I agree with you. It really does start long before they go to school. And I think having it modeled at home, maybe even doing this as a family activity. Um, and again, more and more, the science shows that the screen time isn't just time that's not spent reading, but it's actually time that contributes to the atrophy of the part of the brain that we use when we read books. So it's almost has a double, double effect. Um, and so we have to be intentional about countering that. And again, like exercise, not just exercising one part of the body, um, but the other as well. And that includes our different, um, reading capacities. Okay. Uh, you, you, you're going to be starting a new job next term, uh, fall, I believe, and you're going to be teaching in seminary. Uh, what's an English professor going to do in seminary? (laughs) Well, yes, after 21 years of teaching at Liberty University, um, beginning in the fall, I will transition to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, Um, something that a lot of people don't realize about, well, all of the Baptist seminaries, is that they have colleges associated with them, and so there is a college at Southeastern, and at that college, there are undergraduates who major in English and take English classes. So I will primarily be teaching English um, at the college. And uh, I also, my, my title includes, um, is Research Professor of English and Christianity and Culture. So I'll also get to teach some classes on um, engaging the culture as, as Christians and as a church, because that's an area that I've um, developed in my own scholarship and, and writing. And so I'll do that as well. But primarily, I'll be teaching English courses to undergraduates. 
Okay. Uh, I wanted to ask you, because uh, you, you recently, well, I, I know you come under some criticism for this this new role at, at Southeast uh, Baptist Theological Seminary, um, mainly, I think, because of your involvement or your initial endorsement of Revoice. I just want to ask you, as far as um, in the church engaging um, the LGBTQ community, what are... Uh, your suggestions. What have we done well? What are we doing well? Um, and what's your view on on people in same sex relationships? Yeah, that's that's such a you know a complicated question today, mm-hmm. and it's, and I think we for many years in the church and many decades in the American church we've kind of fallen under two categories of either being you know, um, upholding the biblical um, sexual ethic, which I do, or, you know, completely embracing gay identity and lifestyle and so forth. And those have really been the only two categories for the modern era. Um, and, you know, things are, are sometimes our, our modern categories don't really fit with biblical realities and uh, human nature. And so I think that what the church has gotten right over 2,000 years is upholding God's beautiful design that we see in creation and we see as um, a metaphor in the relationship between Christ and his church. Um, it's just, it's, it's what holds, holds creation together, this design, and, and perpetuates the human race and perpetuates God's image in his creation. It's beautiful and wonderful and I love that the church, for the most part, over these 2,000 years, has upheld that. Mm-hmm. What we've gotten wrong, I think, is that is understanding that in, um, you know, of course, homosexual behavior has existed throughout all of human ex- existence. No one, no one denies that on any side of this issue. Mm-hmm. But as we've entered the modern age, um, and modern and, and and what it means to be sexual and to have an identity that's gotten, that's, that's part of what defines the modern age. And we do get influenced by our culture and we also get influenced by, you know, heredity and environment as this complicated mixture that we really don't understand. And so I know that there are people, faithful Christians in the church who have done everything that they can to overcome a struggle that they don't want to have to overcome desires that they don't want to have. And what the church has tended to do um, in the modern age is to deny those or encourage people to, to, to just wish them away, pray them away, or, you know, or or not be open about that struggle. Um, And I've seen that backfire. I've seen people marry um, and pretend that they didn't have the struggle. And so what I, want to do, and what I think Revoice wants to do, and it's not doing it perfectly either, um, but is to up, to support those Christians who want to live in biblical faithfulness, but also just want to be honest about the struggle. And that's where I think we are now, just okay. trying to find that space where we can balance that delicately. Well, yeah, I, I've had, uh, when, back when I had a radio program, had Rosaria uh, Butterfield Champagne on, on to t- talk about her experience, and you know, I, and I've uh, worked with high-risk kids. I used in youth ministry for 20 years, um, and part of that time, 13 years, was working at juvenile offenders and high-risk kids and a lot of kids that struggle with LGBTQ issues. And 
And, uh, you know, I guess as a former pastor, um, you know, my my advice to when I was, when I do training with youth leaders is first of all recognize that God's called us to to holiness, not necessarily heterosexuality. Um, mm-hmm. But but and and I guess this is kind of where I struggle, and I'm not sure where you're at um, with this. But one thing I I, I think. I, I think I struggle with maybe with, and, and I don't want to mischaracterize the revoice folks, but um, our identities in Christ ultimately. Um, so I guess, I guess I have a problem with the, 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 the uh, phrase, you know, I, I'm a gay Christian. Mm-hmm. Am I, am I wrong? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I don't think that's a helpful phrase, and most of the people I know involved in Revoice um, don't use that phrase. Okay. I, I think maybe some do. Um, uh, and, you know, when that phrase is used, I mean, the problem with that phrase is is, um, is that it can be used by someone who says who, what they mean by that phrase is, oh, I believe you can be a Christian and, you know, and live a homosexual life, and, okay. and that's, of course, completely unbiblical. But other people might use that phrase as kind of shorthand for saying, I'm a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction, um, and there's a shorthand way of saying that. We use shorthand in our lives all the time, um, and it's, you know, it's, it's where imprecise and, and sloppy wording can lead to sloppy thinking. And so someone who loves language and studies language, I understand that that's important. But also semantics mean, is, is a word that means well, we have to find out what someone means when they say that. And mm-hmm. so I don't find the term good or helpful, but I also want to understand what someone means when, you, when they say that. Right. So, yeah, it's so, definitely. Yeah. It, so it, even it, if, I, if I say, if I say, you know, I'm a, I'm, you know, I, I'm a northerner because I, you know, because I come from the north and I live, live in the south. I'm a northerner. I can I can say that. Does that mean I have my identity is in it? Well, partly, maybe. Um, but is it wrong for me to say that anything about myself besides the fact that I'm a Christian? Um, no, we we describe ourselves all the time, and that's not necessarily meaning that we are taking our identity in that thing. It's just something that's part of who we are. Right. So, you know, I guess. My experience has been, and, and you know, I know with uh, talking with Rosaria again, uh, Butterfield, uh, that she was she was embraced by the church. She was uh, uh, they they spent time with her. They loved on her. They shared the gospel with her, and that was the primary focus, not necessarily what she was struggling with sexually. I mean, obviously, I'm sure it came up frequently. She'd have questions. But I think sometimes we don't lead with the gospel. I mean, eventually you have mm, to deal with right. this, but but we're not we're not making right. sure we're not making sure people know that hey, we love we're gonna we're gonna meet you where you're at. We're going to love you. We're going to accept you as a person, um, but that doesn't mean accepting your lifestyle necessarily. Is that a good approach? Yeah, right. I mean, I think that's the approach that we take with with any kind of sin like that. You know, I I know of a couple who um, got drawn back into the church um, in recent months and um, became more committed and involved. And but they were living together, and so the the church, you know, before they could take that, you know, become members and and get involved, they they had to get married. And, And but it wasn't 
you know, it was a gradual kind of um, challenge and exhortation. And then finally, you know, when they were ready to make this commitment to the church, um, they made things right in their relationship. Um, And so we have to deal with these kinds of things with people all the time, not just on this issue. Okay. Um, Yeah, I I don't want to take up too much of your time. We've been on the phone for going almost a half an hour now. So uh, just... I, I, I guess any final recommendations going going back to reading? Uh, what, what are you currently reading now? I'm reading Wendell Berry's novel, Hannah Coulter, which is my first novel that I'm reading by Wendell Berry. And um, I'm quickly becoming a, a, a fan. Um, it's a great read during this time because it does hearken back to what we think of as a simpler, more rural life. Um, but it, you know, I think reading about people from a uh, hundred or so years ago um, or half a century ago helps us to see that they have the same struggles and fears that we do. And so it's, it's really a great read. All right. Well, any uh, closing thoughts, anything you want to share with our listeners that maybe I didn't ask you about? Um, I would just tell people that they, if they, they have those kind of follow-up questions, you can always find me on Twitter at KS Pryor. Um, I'm on Twitter way too much. Um, the notorious KSP. The notorious KSP. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was, yeah, that's, that's a long story, but again, just, I think it just comes from, um, you know, having more nuanced positions that than one, often sees out in social media and that can attract criticism from both sides. And I really am trying to kind of strive for the, the truth um, that in the, in the middle of, of the two extremes and it's in a polarized society, it's hard to do. And I guess that's what makes me notorious, but it's just, a, it's just a fun, a fun nickname, nothing <laughs> ominous to it. Right. Right. All right. Well, Hey, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that concludes today's episode of the Caffeinated Thoughts Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you happen to be listening to this podcast somewhere other than on our website, please be sure to check out caffeinatedthoughts.com. That's caffeinatedthoughts.com. Or just Google Caffeinated Thoughts and we'll show up at the top of your search screen. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, And sign up for our emails. That way you don't miss a single update. You can also subscribe to this podcast using your favorite podcast app, whether it's Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean. I think that's all we're on. Uh, If there's a podcast app that we're missing that you'd like to see us on, please uh, drop me a line, shane at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Again, that's Shane at CaffeinatedThoughts.com, and I'll look and see if we can make that happen. In the meantime, everybody, hey, pick up a book or a Kindle, and let's get back into the habit of reading. Uh, I think we need to do that more. I know I do. So uh, let's do it together, shall we? Until next time, my friends, take care. Bye.